Hello, and welcome to the first episode of First Chair Fantasy. I'm Lucy, and joining me in the second chair today is the very lovely John Locke. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm holding a very hot coffee. You are, so, um... so yeah, we don't want to distract you too much. As many of you know, John uh... and I make comics and games, along with our partners in crime, Nick and Ali, as part of Big Punch Studios. Um, but as many of you may not know so much, I came to comics quite late in life, and I'm actually, at heart, a fantasy novel geek. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I, am, I am lower than comic geek. I am fantasy novel geek. I mean, I, 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 I experiment with sci-fi on the side, but mostly it's, it's fantasy novels. I think we first met when I was stealing your lunch money, actually. Oh, yes. <laughs> As if you could steal my lunch money. Sorry, I'm like, As if I had any money. I know, I know. I'm just a filthy student. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, this is going to be me getting to talk about my geek home territory, my geek comfort zone, and hopefully dragging a few other people down with me across yeah, the episodes. Yeah, and, and <laughs> me just being along for the ride, Yeah, really. because why not? It feels wonderful. You need something to do today. Yeah, it feels wonderful. I'm just up here. I've got a coffee. Yeah? I can help and hinder. It all works out. Yeah. Anyway, today we are discussing uh, Brandon Sanderson's Elantris. This is the first novel that Brandon Sanderson released. It was released ten years ago. It's ten, I think it was the tenth anniversary, like last month, actually. Really? It was, but actually only in the US. Like the UK release was a lot later. So I think it took us took the UK a little while to work out who he was and allow him so space on our shelves. So his first proper novel. His first published novel. Like there are plenty of other novels that have not seen the light of day. But so was it? Did it get a later release in the UK after the success of Mistborn, which was his more popular well, I series? I got the impression that Mistborn got a release because of the success of his finishing of The Wheel of Time. But he only got that job because of Mistborn. Yes, but I think that was the US. Because, of course, Robert Jordan and his wife, Eric McDowell, were American as well, so we're seeing his US yeah. success. But yeah, I did not hear of or see anything of Brandon Sanderson until he completed The Wheel of Time. Okay. Um, and actually, Elantris was the last of the novels that were published when I started reading his work that I read, even though it was the first novel. Um, I think it probably had something to do with the fact that it, it looks much more generic than his other novels, I'd okay. say. I, um, you know, we'll, we'll discuss Mistborn at some point in the future, I'm sure, but Mistborn has a very uh, twisted take on the classic fantasy tropes, and Elantris looks a lot more generic. But, as it turns out, is not. And you should never judge a book by a cover, I guess. Especially when all the covers are exactly the same style in the U- UK. The covers, the covers are very nice. They are wonderful. Uh, this I, one has a real green theme going on. Yeah, the perfect thing to be talking about in a podcast. Yes. Uh, but yeah, so how do we begin? <laughs> well, I thought you might like to read the blurb on the back, mostly because you haven't read this book in a while and you might need uh, a quick reminder Yes, uh, <laughs> as gen- to what actually happens. Uh, gentle listener, uh, I have read this book Uh it's been a while. I'm kind of going to be playing catch up today. Going to just see what I can remember. Um, okay, so uh, Elantris, E L A N T R I S. Yes. Oh, I have heard Sanderson himself pronounce it Elantris. Elantris. I don't know if that's just an American accent or he meant to put a U in there somewhere. Um, but yeah. Okay. Elantris. I'm happy with Elantris. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, that's a bit of the sales pitch at the top. So. <clears throat> Elantris was a place of glory. 
The capital of, oh god, no, oh, yeah, words here. Uh, Aralon, Shard, Olympus, <laughs> This K, is a thing of generally, Aralon, generally, Brandon Sanderson is pretty good at making fantasy names that are actually legible in English. I'd say this is, well, I guess as his earliest foray into this, it was he wasn't quite as good at it. Do your well, best. Well, it'll be exact, fun. It'll be fun hearing how you try and pronounce things. It's that normal thing where you read, certainly fantasy books, yeah. you read these words. And you're okay with it in your head. Yeah. So for the longest time in the Harry Potter books, I thought Hermione was Hermione. Yeah, I've never. I, I thought the same. I'd never heard the name Hermione. Yeah, so. I, I, sheltered child. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, Elantris was a place of glory, the capital of Aralon, the home to people transformed into magic-using demigods by the Shaod. But then the magic failed. Elantris started to rot, and its inhabitants turned into powerless wrecks. And in the new capital, K. K. Yeah. Is that what put? Oh, yeah. Okay. And in the new capital, K, close enough to Elantris for everyone to be reminded of what they've lost. A princess arrives. Serene is to be married to unite Teod and Aralon against the religious imperialists of Fjordel. but she is told that Ryoden, Rauden, her <laughs> husband to be, is dead. Determined to carry on the fight for Teod and Aralon's freedom. I don't remember the theme this time. Uh, Serene clashes with a high priest, Hrathen. If Hrathen can persuade the populace to convert, Fjordel will reign supreme. But there are secrets in Elantris. The dead and the ruined may yet have a role to play in this new world. Magic lives. Yeah, well done. I wasn't imagining... Good try. I didn't imagine that that would be that hard. Uh... <laughs> I can remember more of the character names in the Mistborn series yes. than this, and there tend to be one syllable in the Mistborn series. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, it was a bit wordy. Yeah, um, kind of a bit of a high fantasy trope. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's always it's like, like this is what I said when I thought looking at Sanderson novels before I realised the scope we were actually talking about here when we talk about Sanderson novels. He seems to just poop one out every couple of months. The man. The so. man is. Prolific. He is, he is. Um, yeah. But this is why I thought this was a lot more generic than it is. Because, I mean, I, it's a classic thing of fantasy novels. Names you can't discuss with other people because nobody knows how to pronounce them. Yeah. Often there's too many vowels or all the consonants are sort of struggling to stay together for safety in one end of the word or something. Yeah. But, but also, uh, like, I, I mean, I, I've, I've worked in a few bookshops yeah. in my life and predominantly have gravitated towards working in the sci-fi and fantasy section. I'm very lucky in that regard. But how do you stand out on the shelf when ev the blurb for every fantasy book ever, I don't care if it's the yeah. best one in the world or the worst one, is always like uh, the assemblage of Throndu gathered to, you know push back the forces of Dark John and his capital princeling army of Scarborough's and it's like we should write that, that yeah great. I, lo I love that book it's one of my favourites but like <laughs> the harrowing of Undulin and it's like it's just yeah it's just like throwing a scrabble bag at the table it is and I think there's a real skill to an author being able to come up with words that sound fantastical but are also mundane enough to be usable okay um and i'm not entirely certain that sanderson got it in this particular novel okay but, but like as first novels go as first novels go i mean it it's not bad 
No. I mean, we're here talking about it. No, I, I enjoyed and I, it. I mean, I'd like to maybe state for the record now that I do really love this book. Yes. This is quite a well-thumbed copy that I am holding here. Yeah, because you're a big re-reader I am, of stuff. Yes. I'm not. I tend to read it, read it once yeah. and never touch it again. Unless it's a comic. I'll read comics over and over and over again. But a book, it's, it's a one We see, it's exactly the, same, exactly the opposite with me. I will quite rarely reread a comic, but I'll happily read it once. But then it's kind of done. Although I do reread Next Wave whenever I need cheering up. Next Wave, but that's another great. story. That's a story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes. So, Elantris, what can you remember about the plot? Anything this, that stands out? Is this a quiz? Yes. No, no, no well, maybe not because it's been actually a little while since I read it. As okay. Well. <laughs> okay. What I remember is now. Okay, I guess there's a little caveat. Like anyone listening who is even remotely familiar mm. with Brandon Sanderson may be aware of. Should we just call it charitably the bigger picture? Yes, we will probably put a spoiler warning up later. Yeah, and when so, we actually come to discuss the bigger picture. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I go into this yeah. knowing that there's more going on. Yeah, I think it was after I'd read Mistborn that I realised there was more going on. I think mm. you, we discovered it together. Yes, yeah, yeah. I watched an interview with him, and someone watched asked one question. Yeah, that threw the whole thing open for me, and suddenly. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> so um, okay, so like trying to cast all that out of my yeah. mind. Uh, just going into this book. Okay, so there is, as we said on the back of the book, which I'm referring to now uh, for reference. Yeah. We have a once proud kingdom. Yes. Which was kind of like the centre of the world. Like it was uh, full of magic. Yeah. Like wonders were done on a daily basis by people touched by the child? Yes. The child. We'll yeah. go with that, yeah. We'll call it the child, yeah. right. So I think the general idea was that you, uh, at some point in your, like, maybe it kind of happened a bit randomly? Yes, yeah, it seemed to mostly hit while you were asleep. You would okay. wake up one morning and you would be changed. And you would, I believe it's described at the time, have, like, gold hair and, like, pale metallic skin. Metallic skin. Yeah. And glow, almost. And you yeah. could just do miracles by waving your hand. Yeah. Like, you're hungry? Just make, I'll just make food appear. You yeah. could just do incredible stuff. So, as such, this kingdom being... Is it Aralon? Yes, Aralon. Ar- yeah, we'll yeah. go with that again. <laughs> uh, Aralon being uh, just the centre of magic in the world was a massive powerhouse. Yeah. It wanted for nothing. But then something happened. Something. Something yeah. happened, and we don't really know what, in the context of this book, we don't yeah. know what happened. But then the magic broke. Yes. So the process in which people would randomly gain the power of a child kept happening. Yes. But instead of being transformed into like a magical demigod, you instead... This is, quite, this is something which stuck with me. It's something I found quite interesting. It's the idea that you... Well, first of all, it becomes like a curse. Yes. Yeah, it's a sickness. Yeah. yeah. So you're described as having like blotchy skin. Yeah. You, just, you get big black blotches in your skin. Kind like, of, yeah. You just end up looking... Or your hair falls out. Yeah, you lose your hair, don't yeah. you? You just end up looking nasty and yeah. diseased. And now when this happens, you are... As soon as it happens, it's like a plague. Yeah. It's not really kind of contagious. It's not, no, it's not... It hits people at random. Which I guess it kind of makes it scary. They don't yeah. know why it's happening. So, But when it... If you are infected, should we say infected, you yeah. contract the child now... You're bundled up, dressed in ceremonial white robes, and you are thrown inside the walled city of Elantris. Which was the former capital. Yes, which is yeah. one I'm forgetting. Yeah, Elantris yeah. was the city of glory. Yeah. In the country of Aralon. Yes. Yes, getting there. Nailed it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so now all the infected of the Shire are thrown inside this locked city. Yeah. Big walled city. Guards stopping them getting out. 
And there they live in squalor. Yes, uh, because Elantris yes. has started moulding. It is literally rotting. The, the city, city is the just city falling itself apart. is crumbling and rotting. The idea being that because it was made by magic? Yeah, it, the, once the magic's gone, there's nothing left to sustain it. Yeah, yeah. because there was something about... Something about, I guess, we'll touch on this later, like location. Yes, yeah. Like yeah. the magic is very much tied to the location. Yeah, which is a very big thing for all the various magic that we see in this book. Yeah. Yeah. So something, so as the magic died, it led not only to the child becoming ruined. Yeah. It led to the city physically crumbling. And of course, the political power of that country has now suffered magically. Yes. Uh, drastically. Magically. Yeah. Oh, Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but another interesting and kind of nasty element of the child is that while you look kind of gross, mm. your body becomes kind of, I want to say like frozen? Yes. At yeah. the state of the infection. But not in the kind of good way that, say, Highlander yeah. does it. It's not like you're always going to be perfect. It means that you can never heal. Your body never recovers yeah. from anything. Anything at all. So I think in, in his first few minutes in Elantris, Rowden stubs his toe. Oh, so should we touch upon who Rowden is? Uh, oh, maybe we, we get... should. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. Well, Rowden is um, the Prince of Arleon. Is that what we were going with? Yeah, why not? Ar- yeah. Arlon. 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 Yeah. The Prince of Arlon. And he's the prince in the sense of his father was a wealthy merchant who took over the country when Elantris fell. So actually, his dynasty, as it were, is only 10 years old It's a political structure now based entirely on wealth. Yes, yeah. Yeah. In order to be powerful, you have to be wealthy. Yes. Um, There is a term for that, but I can't remember it off the top Uh, of my head. Yes. (laughs) But um, Rowden wakes up one day, and he has been taken by the child, and he is diseased. Yeah. And um, this is obviously a massive political problem for his father. He's his one one heir. His dynasty is now dead. Because it's generally considered that the Elantrians are now the walking dead. That's kind of how people... They're zombies. They're people who are not not yet dead and not properly alive. Yes. So Rowden gets thrown into Elantris. Elantris, Yes. As is common. And hence our story begins. Yeah, and there our story begins. And... um, the outside world believes that Prince Rowden has simply died suddenly of a horrible disease. Yeah, because it was kind of covered up. Yeah, they claimed he had a disease that disfigured him so badly nobody could see the body. Yes. Um, and at the same time as this, it turns out that um, Rowden was about to partake of a arranged marriage. Yes. To the princess from Teod. Oh, Teod. Yeah. Uh, called Sarine. And the Teod uh, royal family has a much longer line of actual royalty. And of course this and Teod being a country in the north yes. which didn't have magic. No, but they do have a similar line to a similar sort of genetic line to the yeah. other. So you could have Elantrians from Teod. Because there does seem to be a genetic component to who gets taken. Okay. Only the people who have any kind of genetic connection to the land around yeah. Elantris ever get taken. But this was a uh, Teod was an a country which was an ally yes. of Aralon. Yeah. But kind of like so the fall of Volantris and the loss of the magic has kind of affected everyone. It has, like the political yeah. structure has been kind yeah. of sort of cement the so, new yeah. world order. They are, have arranged a marriage between Sarine, Princess of Teod, yes. and Rowden, Prince of... So they've never uh, met. No, they've never met. They've spoken over Seons, which are another random magical thing in this world, which okay, are so, basically little balls of light that you can use to communicate over long distances. So, and for what we know of these Seons, yes. is that they were... Uh, 
I like to think of them as kind of like an artificial intelligence. Yes, yeah. Like a magical computer. They're created by Elantrians. And you said, like a little ball of yeah. light. Uh, yeah, and the Elantrians created them, mm. and with the fall of the magic, the kind of understanding of how we made them yes. has gone. The, the, the ones that are still out there seem to be fine. Yes. But some have gone. In, some go insane, don't they? They only go insane if they're the person they are linked to, because they're usually linked to serve a certain person, you can pass them on and you know change the link but the person if the person they are linked to is taken by the uh, shyod or as it comes to be known the riod which means punishment apparently okay. but if someone is taken and thrown into elantris their sion goes mad yes yeah and that generally consists of this kind of bowling ball sized ball of light yeah. just wandering around bumping against walls yes because they can talk can't they they can yes and they're very intelligent they, they're like, it's like a lovely companion. Like yes, a, yeah. A and, they, and they feel that they're based on um, a lot of loyalty. Like, they don't consider themselves slaves. Yeah. Uh, they, they're kind of slightly horrified by the idea that they might be freed and make decisions for themselves. Okay. But they're definitely intelligent and free-thinking. You, like you can give them an instruction and they will interpret it. So they, they seem to form like a bond yes, with a yeah. human. So Serene, yes. this princess from a foreign land, yes. this kind of not... Scandinavia. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's basically like Scandinavia, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's basically like Ilsa coming to take over another country. Okay. Because she has the same kind of very fierce personality. Yeah. Okay. So this princess from a foreign land yeah. uh, is being sent away. Uh, and she only her only companion is her Seon, which yeah. is this floating ball of light. Yes. Which I believe her name is Asher. Asher. Yeah. There we go. So she arrives in Aralon. Yes. Just to find that her arranged husband... Has just died. Has just day. died, yeah. as far as we're aware. Yeah. Although, really, he's contracted the child, yes, the rail, yeah. and he's been bundled off to Elantris. But because the marriage was so important, and because uh, it was going to be such an important alliance between Alion and, and Tiod, which we'll come to in a moment, the, contra- the terms of the marriage contract state that if either party dies before the marriage is formalised, it's the same as if the marriage was formalised. Okay. So she arrives on the shore, told, is told her husband-to-be is dead, and that she's now a princess of this country. Okay. And her father is waiting for her. And because <laughs> this, because Aralon, its new uh, political base is yeah. so fragile with a fall of magic yes. that they're just like, well, we'll run with it. Yeah, basically. We, yeah, yeah. We're, we're okay. Yeah. And so Serene arrives, finds herself a widow, and sort of almost unintentionally sets about to dismantle the country. Uh, she doesn't mean to do that. It just seems yeah. that just about everything she does makes everything worse. Does it though? I can't remember. Like she tries to do a lot of good. Well, she does try. She does try. I think the interesting thing about Serene's character is she, I, she could have very easily been a very stereotypical fantasy princess type. As it is, it's almost her character that she's not. She's like she's she's meant to be twenty five years old. She's considered an old maid in Tiod, even though she's the princess of the country. She can't find anyone to marry her, yeah, because she's too outspoken. Even just things like she's too tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she's sort of fierce and self important, and she knows what she wants and she goes and gets it. Yeah, and she decided she wanted Rowden. Like that's the thing. She arranged her own arranged marriage. Okay, <laughs> I think. Um... It's something which uh, Sanderson is quite good at, yeah. is subverting certain yes. tropes. And he's, uh, it's, he's... Almost, it's almost a trope. It's, he, he, has, he has made a formula of subverting the formula. Yeah. His, <laughs> his characters are, are generally pretty good. Yes. They're generally pretty good. And, I quite uh, like Serene. Um, 
Yeah, no, she's good. And, like, yeah. and, and like, she, with no real other purpose in her life, she, I guess, political activism is what she does. She yes, starts yeah. trying to improve. So, okay, so you've got this kind of story developing where uh, the prince of this land has contracted the child. Yes. Has been kind of cast away into Elantris, this ruined, rotting city. Yes. His bride-to-be has arrived, found him dead. Yes. Uh, and then has started kind of running the country. Yes. In an abs- in the absence of anyone yes. else. There is a fantastic moment later in the book where she shouts the king, uh, the king Iodon into... Yeah, she shouts King Iodon, Rowden's father, into submission. Okay. Because he does... Something very, very bad. and I can't remember. No? No, I can't remember. What oh, well, that, yeah. it comes later in the book, so I'm sure we'll get there. Okay, well, I guess we don't have to, no? we don't have to cover everything, no, no, I suppose. No. No. Um, but then, I guess the third element is, at the same time, yes. this priest... Arrives from Fjordel. Now, Fjordel is another northern country. I think Fjordel is kind of everywhere at this point. Okay. I get the Fjordel apparently was a great empire in the past at some point, mm-hmm. and it has recently attempted to regain its former glory. Yeah. But instead of conquest in the strictest sense, it's converting various countries to their religion, and actually religion is very important. In Big this. thing in all yeah. of Sanderson's of, books. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually something that's interesting because it's often left out of fantasy novels, like quite often. If people have a religion, it's some sort of little throwaway thing. Or, you know, because there's magic, why would you need religion? You know, or, or also you get to a world where a god is a physical yes, thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, elves, dwarves, gods. Yeah. You know, religion doesn't really hold the same place in yes. a fantasy book because it's a matter of fact yeah. that your god lives over there. Yes. And will probably kill you if you yes. go near him. His lightning is made in that hill. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it, there are sort of three major religions that we come across in Elantris. Okay. All based around the teachings of one man, which is the interesting bit. There, It's actually, it's a very realistic um, kind of portrayal of religion, I find. Okay. There's the, the parent religion, is called Shu Keseg, and that was based on the teachings of a man who said that the god gods wanted humanity to be unified. They wanted unity. Okay. And the, the, there are a few followers of pure Shu Keseg left. Okay. And they believe that it's unity of mind that was demanded. Mm-hmm. So I'm, we don't see much of them. We only actually meet one follower in the entire book. It's made out that there's very few of them. Um, but I'm guessing unity of mind would mean a lot of education-based s- stuff. Okay. Um, they, you know, teachings, science. They don't seem too worried about the other religions in any way. It's okay. Like the um, religion of Fjordel is mm. called Shudereth. Okay. Which is based on the teachings of one of the disciples of Keseg. Okay. Who teaches that it's a unity of obedience. Right. So, in theory, if you convert to Shu Dereth, you are swearing to obey their religious leader, who also happens to be their emperor, which is how they're conquering. Okay. They're converting the nobility of various countries through sort of pressure and force. But by converting them, they are automatically absorbing them into their but, but, empire. But this is a very interesting thing, because it, the kind of slightly weakened political situation in yeah. Ar- uh, Aralon, yes. of which Elantris is the capital yeah. city. I'm trying to remember all these names. Um, so basically, this priest called Hrathen yes. arrives. He's called the Red Priest, isn't he? He's he, the Gjorn. 
The Gjorn. Yes, which is apparently like there are 20 Gjorns. He's a very high level Like an priest. archbishop yeah. kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and he yeah. wears completely blood red armour. Okay. But, but it's interesting because he's an interesting character because obviously he's a believer. Yes. But he's the carrot to the stick. Yes. Because the empire of Fjordel is expanding. They're very aggressive. They want to conquer a lot of countries. They see an opportunity to exploit Aralon to take over. Yeah. So there's two ways of doing it. You can either uh, take over by force, or you can take over by them converting to the religion. Yeah. So Hrathen, he's he's the villain, I mm-hmm. guess, in that he's coming over and through political games and kind of oh, it's, it's a lot of politicking. Yeah, yeah. politicking. He's yeah. trying to get the country to convert to his religion. Or more specifically, he's trying to get the nobility of the country to convert. Because then you get the trickle down yeah. effect. Yeah. Now, but, but which is interesting because obviously what he's doing is very well. You could say it's wrong. Yeah. I think yeah. it's wrong what he's doing. He believes he's helping. But this is a bit weird thing. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. his goal is conquest. Yeah. But he genuinely believes... Or, A, he's a believer. Yeah. So he believes that converting people to his faith is saving them. Yes. B, it's, he knows that it's literally saving them. Because if he doesn't convert them... The armies are going to they're gonna, the They're going to send the <laughs> yeah. armies who will come and kill everyone. Yeah. Which, again, is quite an interesting thing. Because he, and it's interesting yeah. because it's, um, it's, it's kind of a, almost a minor plot line in Harathan's story in this but he's already failed at that he's failed once he's failed once the Republic of Dúladén which we we meet a few people from Dúladén because they were refugees okay uh, and they're taking refuge in in Arleon um they he he tried to convert Dúladén yeah and he failed and the armies came in and there was a massacre so he or rather he triggered a civil war yeah and the the people of Dúladén overthrew their own republican government and massacred hundreds of people. Because he's quite a complex character. He because is, yeah. he f- believes very strongly in his cause. Mm. And, you know, he's a... Well, I guess he's a zealot, really. Like he's, He is, but he's a very logical zealot. But also, like... He doesn't have the passion, but he knows what he's doing is right. But, and he, has, follow but it. he has this conflict, though, because while he believes utterly in the teachings of his church, mm. he seems also very conflicted about the fact that they do horrible things. Yeah. And so he's kind of a believer despite that. Yeah. And it, it well, sits his, uneasily His faith demands obedience. That's yeah. the thing. It's like he, his faith, he treats, he serves his faith best by obe- obeying the higher-ups. Yeah. And the higher-ups from him is basically the emperor. Okay. Because he's, he's in that top tier. Yes. So he gets to directly serve the emperor and they believe that only the emperor can serve their god. Yes. It's very much like a very... It's a very strict pyramidal structure here. But the yeah. religion that's native to Tiod and Arleon... Yes. ...is called Shukurath. Okay. And that is by... That Good. is founded by another disciple of okay. the original man who believed that it was unity of love. Okay. So the Kurathi religion is very much more about... Um, it's very sort of friendly and uh, soft and... Wants you to come into the fold and be part of a group, and you serve best by serving your family, serving your friends, keeping a much more kind of friendly, happy environment yeah. going. But the thing is that the only place in the world that Shukurath is still practiced is Tiod and Arleon. Okay. And these Tiod, two countries, which yeah. of course are now trying to unite with a political yeah. marriage. And that basically, that's the driving force behind Serene's whole thing because she is a true believer she is another true believer i can't in... remember i can't remember that at all actually but, no. but in shu 
Korah. The other one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so religion is always quite a big thing it in is, yes. Sanderson's books. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess so. In that rather complex setup, mm. you have these three plot threads. Really, yes, we see yeah. it from three perspectives. You've got Riordan, who's been condemned to Elantris yes. because he has the child. Yes. Wordsy words, words, words. Wordsy words, words, words. You have Serene, who's just arrived, inherited a dead throne, really, yeah. and is now trying to help the country. And then you have Thrathen, the priest, who has arrived and is trying through political means to take over the country as yes. well. But he's still I, I, doing it for the wrong reasons, but kind of... He thinks he's doing it for the right reasons. He is the but better But he does of, have quite an impressive crisis of faith yeah. later on in the book. He's the lesser of two evils. Yes. Yeah. Lesser of two evils, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, we have plenty of subsidiary characters to talk about, but those are the three yeah. main ones. Um, Rowden, Sareen, and Harathan. Harathan also has uh, Dilaf, who is his kind of ridiculously zealous um, head priest of the church in Arleon. Or right. eventually he gets there. Um, Dilaf is a true, passionate zealot. I mean, and, and it's very interesting, the contrast between Harathan's kind of cold logic for what he does and Dilaf's just fierce, fiery hatred of everything that isn't Shudereth. And mm-hmm. that includes, weirdly, a particular hatred for the Elantrians. Because the Elantrians aren't of Shu Korath. They just kind of existed is, and were quite happy for religions to exist which is, because... Which is funny because I think <laughs> I've forgotten the fact that Serene had a religion. Mm. I've I just completely forgotten that at all. Uh, and my kind of takeaway from it... Because it's, it's been a while since I read it, but I just remember that the Elantrians seemed entirely without a religion. That, that, I think, yeah, they, yeah. well, presumably individual were... Elantrians might, may have kept the religion that they had before they became Elantrians, but the, as a whole, they didn't really consider it, I think. Yeah. Although we, we do find out later that they did have a religion, it might actually be closer to the truest sense of how their world works. Okay. Because they had a very direct connection yes. to the gods, obviously. To this godlike yeah. power. Um, okay, so... Uh, with Rowden, yes, he uh, he's contracted the child, yes, and he's cast into this ruined city. He is, uh, and it's slime growing out the walls. Yeah, it's but, filthy. But the interesting thing with uh, the child yes. now, what was once a blessing is now a curse. Now you mentioned earlier, you learn that the body becomes frozen. Yes, which doesn't mean you don't age. It just means you never recover from anything. Yeah. So every minor injury. You pick up. Just builds and builds. Never and heals. Never, never, the pain never stops. And the pain never goes away. So, in, like I say, in the, first, in the first few minutes when he's in Elantris, he ends up being chased by a bunch of thugs who are after his food because you feel unbearable hunger. Oh, but this is the thing, you don't die. No, you don't die of hunger. You just feel the hunger yeah. forever. It's like you can't, yeah. you can't die. You just kind of keep persisting, yeah. getting hungrier and hungrier. But yeah. as it's a funeral tradition of Shukurath to bury your dead with food to take with them. Um, so when you're thrown into Elantris, you're given a basket of food. And it's kind of a big thing for Elantrians to watch people getting thrown in. And there's kind of this uneasy truce between, like, three different gangs yeah, within Elantris. It, well, it's, kind of, it's a lawless, yeah. walled, horrible city. Like, yeah. yeah. And basically, Rowden falls afoul of one of these three gangs who go after his little basket of food. Yes. Um, uh, in that process, he stubs his toe, 
and that is still bothering him. The pain never the goes pain away. The pain never goes away. Imagine the pain of when you've really stubbed your toe. It's a bit at like that first moment. It's a bit like leprosy. Yeah. Kind of like in the way it's presented, yeah. and like you keep accumulating these little injuries. I guess for catches in leprosy, a lot, a lot of the time the feeling goes as well. Yeah. But in this instance, no. No, no. Which is a horrible thought. It really actually. was. It's really and gross. Yeah. And a lot of the um, Elantrians eventually lose their minds. Yes. It's called going. It's called getting lost. Going yes. Hoed. That's another word. Poet. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I have uh, recently been playing a lot of Dark Souls. Mm. And it's interesting now, looking back, there are a lot of similarities between the two. Mm. Like, in Dark Souls, when you get the dark sign, you get this little kind of yeah. black spot on your body, uh, you become undead. Uh, kind of undying, but your yeah. body becomes horrible and disfigured, and you lose a lot of what makes you you. And you're cast into this... Well, like a, uh, a walled city, an yeah, asylum, yeah, to kind yeah. of rot. But then the catch is, much like in the two, in Dark Souls, when you completely lose what purpose you have left, you become hollow, you just become like a mindless monster. Yeah. Which is similar to... Yes, and it is similar, but um, it's, it's, it's shown eventually that you can overcome it, in a strange yes. way. Like, if you've gone completely lost, it's very hard, because you don't have any sense of the world around you anymore. Yeah, you like you go catatonic. Yeah, because you can't see or the pain, the horror, the numbness of it. You you just lose your mind. But um, most of Rowden's plot, uh, character arc in this, is him figuring out what's caused it, but at the same time figuring out how to sort of slightly fix it. Yeah, he works out fairly quickly that if you've got something to do, if you have a purpose, if you have something to focus on. It can kind of distract you from the pain. Yeah. So you can even stand the hunger. And, you know, it, it can stop you losing your mind. And he spends a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to ensure that he can secure a little section of Elantris where he can keep people safe. Yeah. And make sure that they have something to do. And he even finds, like, a cleaner. And he goes, well, clean then. And he has a man just scrubbing all of the paving stones, and eventually people join them, and more paving stones. So he manages to clean a little section. They start of growing. The do they know it's not growing crops? They do because it's um, some of the people coming in with food bring in corn. So yeah. they plant the corn. They have a farmer with them, so and they he, plant the corn. So Ryden kind of proves himself to be a person of quite exceptional motivation and yeah. purpose. And despite... the people in the city don't know that he's the prince. No, he keeps that yeah. hidden. Yeah. A couple of people work it out. Yeah. Because he keeps calling himself Spirit, which is the literal translation of his name. Yes. <laughs> so... But then he... Yeah, so he kind of completely turns around this small, this hopeless environment. Yeah. And starts building, like, a little civilization mm-hmm. there. I guess, for lack of a better word, like, he yeah. brings a bit of meaning back to these people's lives. Which is almost immediately destroyed by Serene, completely accidentally. Oh, yes. 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 Because uh, Serene in the outside world is trying to politic her way up the ranks of Arleon's uh, nobility. Uh, It turns out that her uncle from Teod, so the brother of the king of Teod, is living in Arleon quite happily. And um, that kind of gives her an in into certain parts of the court that maybe wouldn't be so open to her, even though she's the princess, just to walk into. Um, So she starts manipulating the court of Arleon. And it turns out that there's a tradition in Arleon that a new widow does some sort of uh, public service or trial to show how much they miss their husband. And she decides to feed the Elantrians. Okay. So 
she walks in to Elantris with big carts full of food mm-hmm. into a city full of starving, insane people. Yes. Um, by this point, Rowden has managed to assert enough control that actually two of the other gangs are sort of inert. One of them has just been completely absorbed and the other has just kind of disintegrated. So he manages to control the area around the gates and keeps her safe. This is the first time they meet and obviously she doesn't know who he is. Yeah. And there's a lot of fun banter as it's like she sort of likes him but despite herself. She knows she shouldn't like him and she yeah. works out pretty quickly that he's the actual power behind But of course place. he has made... These people who had no hope, who had nothing, mm-hmm. he's made them kind of self-sufficient and mm-hmm. self-reliant. But then, The of moment course, someone comes in with a, handouts... A great big bowl of charity arrives, yeah. and then they're like, oh, well, we don't need to yeah. be self-sufficient anymore. We need to just feed off yeah. this. So her trial lasts a couple of weeks, and in that couple of weeks, she manages to more or less dismantle everything. He's done. Rowden's done. Yeah. Um, and again, this is the fun thing I like about Serene. She does all these things that seem very sensible and very logical, but she's just not helping <laughs> that, that was a fairly honest misunderstanding was, was, like everything she, she does is a completely honest misunderstanding yeah well she tries she tries and um i like that because i, I see a lot of me in her yeah you try to help but somehow it just goes wrong <laughs> okay, okay well um how about um the fact that also while ryden has been in elantris mm. he has been researching mm. The lost magic. Yes, it turns out the magic of Elantris was done by drawing symbols in the air. Yes. And you have to be very accurate, but you can use any finger and just draw certain shapes. And it's the ancient language yes. of Arleon. They're called Aeons. Aeons, yeah. yes. And the magic was called Aeon Door. So an Aeon is like a syllable. Yes. If you it's yeah. it's a it's a it's not a, a an alphabetic language. It was a, a, a symbolic language each different aeon represented a completely different word no but it's like like you look at his name like ryo den yeah it's like two syllables yes which is like but everybody in arleon has at least one syllable that comes from an aeon yes and his aeon is spirit yes yeah (laughs) so it's what becomes referred to later in many sources as form based magic yes all the magics that we see are based on shapes yes yeah so as you were saying to do the Elantrian magic, back when it worked, because yeah. it doesn't work anymore, you would simply trace your finger in the air, a glowing kind of glyph would appear, yeah. and then you could do awesome things. Yes. So didn't uh, Ryoden, doesn't he start trying that? And he finds that yes. he can get close, but yeah. it doesn't work. It can glow, but then it just sort of vanishes. It doesn't he, do anything. He can trace like the symbol, yeah. but then it doesn't do anything. Because, of course, the child is broken. Yes. Like, he's clearly yeah. meant to be a magic user, but yeah. it's, not, it's not working. Something is, and he says it's like there's a shape behind the, 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 the glyph that's trying to get through. And if he can make the glyph the right shape, yeah. it will fit. But so he, there's something wrong with the shape yeah, behind so he, the glyph. He comes, he comes into the theory that, yeah, exactly that, yeah. like um, the symbols are wrong. Yeah. Which is why all the magic Despite is... Despite the fact that they've been used for millennia. Which is why all the magic is broken. Yeah. yeah. And he comes to the remarkable conclusion that um, the earthquake that signalled... The collapse ten ah, years ago. I guess we have to backpedal a bit here yeah. and say there was a big earthquake. Yeah, well, and everyone assumed that that was caused by the Elantrian magic failing. Yes. And he comes to the realisation instead that it was the other way around. Okay. That the earthquake caused the magic to fail. Okay. So something changed. Yes. And it can't make... It, something in that earthquake 
made it all wrong. Yes. And yeah. So this is kind of like by which, by this point now we've kind of described maybe the the first two thirds. Of yes. The book. Yeah. Like, this is kind of like the beginning and the middle. Yeah. I, I guess it goes without saying we should probably talk about spo- just mentioning spoilers. I guess spoilers. Yes. I mean, this is a ten-year-old book. It is a ten-year-old book. Um, yeah. But because of that big picture that we mentioned earlier, there are spoilers in this book for books that are far more recent. Yeah. And books that are yet to be published, I guess, in a way. Okay. Um, so if you're not aware of the term Cosmere, yeah. Uh, then I suggest you go look up a character called Hoyd, and then come back to this later. Yeah. Basically. Sanderson writes a lot, and he writes about different worlds, but there's a lot to reward someone who reads everything. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, uh, okay. with that in mind, I guess we enter like the final act of the book. Yes. What What are the stakes? What's happening? Well, by the end of the book, um, the Harathan, Harathan has persuaded a large chunk of the um, populace to kind of convert to show Dareth. He's not having much luck with the nobility... But he has managed to get one significant noble, like the second richest man in Arleon, to give him kind of tacit approval that he will convert should he make sure he can get on the throne. Okay, so yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll join your religion yeah. if you can promise that I'll rule this place. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, and so Harathan thinks that he's won. And it turns out that actually uh, Delaf, his second in command, has been playing a completely different game in the background and okay. has more or less scuppered everything yeah. That Harathan has. Because um, Harathan, for all his faults, yeah. still believes that what he's doing is the best yes. option. Yes. Because otherwise, yeah. the government, like his home country, will come and invade. Yeah. So his, his job is he feels if he can get this one noble who's called Telri, I believe, on the throne, mm-hmm. everything will be fine. That's more or less kind of scuppered by Serene agreeing to marry another noble which together would make that noble much richer. Okay. And he'd be on the throne. So he poisons Serene. And the poison causes her to get black blotches all over her skin and all her hair to fall out. So she's thrown into Elantris. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives him, like, a few days while the poison works its magic to try and fix everything outside and get Telri on the throne. Yeah. And... Serene um, comes through a, magi- a miraculous recovery a few days later. Yeah, because this is ultimately, like, nothing comes of this, no. really. Like, uh, I don't think this is a complaint as such, but it, it almost doesn't feel like a major subplot, because... No, I mean, I think it's more of a, more an excuse to get Serene well, it's into Elantris. Ex- yeah, it's an excuse um, that Serene and Ryoden get to spend yeah. a bit of time together. Yeah. And also, as you say, so yeah. that Harathan can yeah. try and... And, um, and manipulate the throne or whatever. Yeah, Harathan had sort of... I'm now trying to remember which order this happens in slightly. Well, I, I just go generally. Harathan also poisons himself. And he gets thrown into Elantris, even though everyone knows he shouldn't be able to be taken by the child. Yeah. Because he's not... He has no genetic connection yeah. to the land around Elantris. But he he makes out that he kind of prays the punishment away. Yeah, because he's he's developed a poison which can temporarily simulate the effects of the child. So when it goes away, yeah. you're like, oh, it's a miracle, he's cured. Yeah, it must be the power of yeah. my religion. Yes, which did basically. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's very very close to success here. Okay. But it is then kind of scuppered by Delaf. Okay. If it turns out the fanatical the fanatical local second priest. in command turns out is not a local priest. Turns out he is from the mysterious um, sort of 
uh, monastery of fighting monks that the Shudereth people have. And they have certain magics that allow you to change your shape. Mm -hmm. So they have another form of the shape magic, which involves carving shapes directly onto your bones. Yes. Um, Again, it's all about symbols. It all, it's all about symbols. And they're different symbols, from what I understand. Yeah, a different language. You know, you don't really get them described yeah. all that much, the same way you get the Aeons described. Um, but basically, yes, Delaf starts the invasion. Yeah, yeah essentially, because all of this is a lot of political yeah. dancing around yeah. the fact that the finale of the book yeah. is that the country, Fjordel invades. Yes. With their army of rather scary fighting monks. Yes. Whose bodies have been horrifically kind of modified. Yeah, cut and carved and. Because as you said, you carve symbols yeah. directly onto your bone. Yeah. Which... And it turns out that Harathan actually spent some time in that monastery and couldn't cut the. He found it too horrific, it yeah. yeah. So he kind of. He managed to find his way to the higher echelons, but he's not. So what can they yeah. do? I can't remember. The fighting well, monks with their magic bones. They're what very, do... very strong. It's kind of standard stuff. They're very strong, very fast, very durable. Yeah. Um, but also they have abilities like they can stand stand in a circle around one of their number and use that person's sort of life force to power like a teleportation spell. So they can they're not invading by sea or by mountain. They are just teleporting. Yeah. Into the middle of the city. Things and... very quickly go to hell. Oh yeah. Don't they? Yeah. It's like suddenly it's blood and guts and fire, yeah. and these monks are yeah. horrible. I, I um the king is deposed. Yeah, but not. In, he's kind of deposed before everything goes wrong. It's yeah. just like they take their moment, basically. Because you kind of realise that as bad as Farathin was, he really was the, the better option. He really was, yeah. Because then these these monks just turn up and start slaughtering people, yeah. and like people. And the idea is, is they they are planning to kill everybody with any blood that would connect them to Elantris. Yes. So that there can be no more Elantrians. And also, like it's all the sub characters, all the supporting characters you've yeah. seen, the greater casks. You know, they're all being rounded up. People are getting murdered. Yeah. It's, you know, it's horrific. Yes. Yeah. And they all get thrown into Elantris. They take them through the gates into Elantris um, to start scouring Elantris. Yeah. Um, and at this point, um, Serene and Rowden have finally kind of come to terms and they realise they actually quite like each other. Um, and it looks like they're going to be able to build some kind of life together. Yeah, they realize Rowden's it. come out of the closet and said, I'm the prince of this country, my father's been deposed, yeah. I'm now king. Um, yeah, but are we getting things the wrong order now? Because obviously Serene's thing gets cured, because yes, she didn't actually yeah, yeah. have the show. Yeah. I, I think that, ha that happens a little yeah. bit. It's quite a busy act, actually. Yeah. But all that really matters yeah. is that like everything's going to hell, yeah. but Rowden works something out. He does. He figures out that the earthquake caused a chasm to open in the mountains to the south of Aeolia. Yeah, it was a great big, yeah. great big And crevasse. it turns out yeah. that the Aeons are based on the shape of the country. Yeah. Like, the shape that you draw to start every Aeon is the shape of Arleon. Which is why... Because everything is symbol-based. Yeah. So it's like the idea is if you could look at the country... No, Elantris itself. Yeah. If you could look at Elantris... Is it Elantris? It is, well, yes, but the, the, the basis of it is that the magic is all based on the... The magic is all based on the shape of Arleon. The country. The country. So So it's a line at the top for the coastline, yeah. a curved line for the mountains, and then a dot for a big lake that's in the middle. Yeah. And the chasm opened up crossing the mountains. So if you could view the country from the sky, yeah. you'd see that basic shape. Yeah. As you said, like line here, line here, line here, and a dot. Yeah. Zoom in to the city of Elantris. Yeah. 
and Elantris is set up like a giant spirit aeon. Because all the magic is based around drawing a symbol. Yes. So the city itself is, is a, a symbol, symbol when yeah. seen from above. Yeah. But because it's a because for the magic to work, you have to draw the symbol of the country, yeah. the shape of the country, and then and then modify yeah. it to yeah. do magic. Because the country has changed shape, shape because of the earthquake, yeah. therefore the shape of Elantris is now wrong. Yeah. Which is why the magic doesn't work. Which yes. is why everything, yeah, yeah, the yeah. entire language is broken. So basically, in the middle of this massive battle, there's monks running through, scouring Elantris. There are people of Alion trying their best to protect what they can, trying to fight back. Oh, and they're burning people with the shadow. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're they? just putting them into bonfires and burning but them. But because they can't die. Yeah. This is horrible. Yeah. Like they're burning these undead people alive who can't die. And, yeah. there's, and then Rowden, who's nearly gone... Howard, by this point. His body's like, falling he, apart, he's, he's, essentially. He's yeah. nearly mad. He runs through this mess with a couple of his friends who are just like, we don't know what he's doing, but just let him do it, whatever it is. Don't let them stop him. He grabs a stick and he runs through the city, dragging the stick behind him. This is as, this is as simple as it yeah. comes down to. It's like yeah. he has to draw... One line. A line yeah. on the city. Yeah. And to he complete drags the, symbol. the stick behind him while all this battle is going on. And then as he connects to the wall with this line everything explodes into light and the child finishes the process so they're no longer this kind of frozen undead yeah people all these golden silver deities start walking out of bonfires and just it scatters everything yeah so with like yeah so with with modifying the symbol of the city by that one line Everyone yeah. who, was, who was a monkey undead person yeah. is now a god. And that, that's a classic Sanderson thing. Like, the bit of information you needed was something really simple. You were staring at it all yeah. along. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, I, I like how, I, I like how subtle it was. Like, even right up until that point, I was like, yes, I finally got it. I understand what he's doing. And it was very cool. Yeah. That was very cool. Yeah. And in summary, I mean, all these godlike people just blow the heck yeah. out of all these priests yeah, using their laser he's had, powers. He's had a few of them since he figured out how to make the Aeons work by adding this one yeah. line. Um, he's had a few of them practicing certain things because he felt that, you know, knowing what Serena told him what was going on outside, he knew something was coming. So the first thing they start doing is throwing fireballs around because he had them all practicing yeah. how to make fireballs. So you're, oh, did, oh, you're an angry monk, are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to draw a little symbol on yeah. here and then boom, just blows people yes. up. Yeah, And then um, kind of the grand finale I guess is that uh, Serene has actually been sort of shipped back across to Teod uh, because her, they, her father has converted in big kind of invert, inverted yeah. commas that's something that's been happening across the sea she's not been able to do anything while well, she's been working in Arleon her own country has been falling apart as well and um, so R- Rowden chases her using a teleportation Aeon that he finds. Yeah, that's basically it, isn't yeah. it? They, they, the show he goes of... and he gets to be the, the wonderful prince and rescue yeah. the princess. That's it, the Elantrians teleport en masse to that yeah. foreign country, blow up all the monks. And, the then, and then have to get a boat back. Yeah, then it, they can't... Because go... the magic doesn't work that far yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's location-based. And yeah. yeah, But that's it. Yeah. Happy ending. It's, it, it is a good ending. and But with the greater threat of the Empire still kind of Yeah, Fjordel is still out there. Uh, but now the power of Elantris should be able to protect at least Arleon. Yeah, well, and the, of course, uh, Raldon gets crowned king. Of course, Serene is now queen of Arleon. Um, they all get medals and, at the end yeah. and pose for the camera, and... and it's all happily ever after. Really? Yeah. Um, the end. So yeah, so I mean that that's a pretty 
pretty... I like the ending. I mean, it is... Of Sanderson's novels, I think it's the most generic, in a way. Well, it's still... Yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I say generic, it sounds like a bad thing. I still want... I love this book. <laughs> it's a, Yeah, it's interesting that... It's probably his most... I want... What it's like, as we've kind of described, is a three-act structure. A structure. Mm-hmm. It's not massively tricky. No, You know, there's no. no kind of... It's not trying to pull the rug out from under you. It's just kind of like, yeah, this is it's the story. It's an easy read. Yeah. I mean, it's very much... It's a it's a read you can just... You can just sit down and kind of chomp your way through it. It, but also it like, doesn't, doesn't hold you back in any way. There's always an internal logic yeah. to his books as well. Like, And it's as you said, like, as you see Ryden trying to solve the mystery of why the magic is broken... You do get the feeling that there's a legitimate reason yeah. for it. It's not just yeah. like some nonsense. That's always the yeah. feeling you get with Sanderson magic systems is that there are rules, and even if you don't know them all, he knows them all and he's yeah. obeying them. Nothing that happens, no matter how ridiculous it seems, disregards the rules. Yeah. And that's a weird thing because it's, um, I mean, Sanderson magic systems are kind of infamous in a way, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. In that they're all kind of the same magic system just fed through different yeah, ex- filters. Because he writes about a lot of different worlds, a lot of different stories, yeah. and they're all kind of standalone. Yeah. But then as you read more and you learn a bit more about what's going yeah. on... We've given a spoiler warning, so go for y- it. Yeah, well, it's like you learn that it's all in the same solar system? I think it's the same sort of galaxy. Galaxy, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it depends yeah. how, it's, the how idea, much you the want to go into this. The idea is that at yeah. some point in the past, this is the greater plot of the Cosmere. Yes. At some point in the past, someone kind of identified God. Found God. Yeah, which I believe was called Andalusium. Andalusium. And splintered it. Yes, so God was blown up into 16 16 pieces. 16 parts, yeah. Yeah, and each of these parts is like an element of God. Yeah. So you have, uh, for example, uh, well, they're called shards. They're called shards, yeah. So the the 16 shards of God. Yeah. And you have things like God's... um, Devotion. Devotion. God's uh, dominion. Yeah. Uh, what's the other two from that, from Mistborn? Uh, uh, ruin. Ruin and preservation. preservation. Uh, There's Od- also uh, Odium. Odium, yeah. his hate. Yeah. So you have all these elements of God which yeah. were blown outwards. And each of them landed on different, on planets. different planets. And the, each planet that they landed on had a certain, I call it a spirit web, which is not a term that's used anywhere in the books, but it's it's a general kind of greater term that is used on like yeah. um, fan sites and things and each spirit web determined how that shard's power would be described in that world so in uh, on Elantris we appear to have devotion and domination yeah. which, which is worth pointing out this is something that never comes up in Elantris no it's never named you'd never have such, any no. idea but no. it, like it's only when you read the other books yeah. and start kind of realising what's going together. on but it turns out that the magic of the Elantrians is based on devotion. Yeah, so every it's worth saying that every shard of God, yeah. every shard can give rise to a magic system. Yes. So these shards kind of randomly blasted out across the universe. And sometimes one landed on a planet, and that's all you got. Yeah. Sometimes a couple yeah. crash-landed on a planet. And then they gave, they gave rise to a form of magic. Yes. So certain elements of the planet might define what shape yes. that magic takes. So on, um, I believe they, they call this planet Cell. Cell. Yeah. Again, not anything that comes up in the book. No. All the magic is form-based. Yes. So devotion's magic is fed through Elantris and you have to make the shape of the country, so something you're devoted to. Yeah. 
And um, you know, it also takes a lot of skill to make those shapes. You have to be devoted to making the shapes. Which is something that does come up in the book. That apparently, like, the only unifying factor that yeah. seemed to uh, affect people who got affected by the child is yeah. that they were especially devoted to something. Yes. Master yeah. craftsmen. Uh, Artists. M- m- musicians. Princes that kind of, thing. of the country. Because po- Rowden was trying to usurp his own father. Yeah. Uh, in, kind of quietly in the background. He was trying to make his country better for his people. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it is, it is, yeah, the people who are there are devoted, obsessed people. Yeah, <laughs> it's like... but it's interesting because then you have the magic of the priests, the evil priests. Yes, which we think might be domination. D- or dominion. Dominion, sorry. Dominion, yeah. so like, it's, again, it's based on shapes. Yeah. You have to carve shapes into your yeah. bone. But you have to, like, overpower your body to do it. Yeah, it's not based on, like creativity yeah. or I guess devotion as yeah. we said like a, a belief in something it's kind yeah. of like I'm going to force things to yeah. be my way although we don't know that for certain because they do talk about um, the religions of Shukorath and Shudereth even the people there think yeah. that it's the same god they just have different names for yes which is an interesting thing as well because the shards yeah. can occasionally be mistaken for gods yes yeah. It's like uh, a world may have an immensely powerful being there, which yeah. might contain the power of, of the shards. Some shard. of the shards are controlled by minds. There yes. are sort of human minds that have the power of the shard. And become, for all intents and purposes, a, a god. god. Yeah. 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 But your power is defined, sometimes vaguely, mm. by what that shard is. Yes. So if you, cont- if you possess the power of god's devotion... Mm. It's like, you could do a lot. Like, it depends. How do you define devotion? What yeah. are the limits of devotion? Um, but you see in other worlds, there's, for example, a character who's bonded to ruin. Yes. He has the power yeah, yeah. of God's ruin. So all he can do is destroy. Yeah. That's pretty vague. And like, it sends uh, him quite bonkers. That's, and that's open-ended. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can do a lot with the power yeah. to destroy. But... But it's, and then, you know, on that same world, there is someone with the power of preservation. And yes. they can't create anything. They have to couple with Ruin's power in order to have enough power yeah. to create. So, uh, ex- but they can maintain. <laughs> and it's, this is something I really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Like the concepts. I, and to yeah. be fair, like, a lot of this is speculation. Oh, a lot of it. A lot yeah. of it's been confirmed by like, the word of God. But there's yeah. a, there is a very devoted wiki called oh, the 17th, 17th Shard, <laughs> which is a fan community of people piecing together all these story elements yeah. and what Sanderson has said yeah. in interviews and how and I believe now the 17th shard I don't know if it was always intended to be but the 17th shard is now a thing in the books, in the books. Yeah. Um, because as well as what the events of this book we have seen certain characters in this book subtly in other books yeah there are characters who overlap between yeah. all the books and I guess if we're going to be talking about the Sanderson books which yeah. is going to be kind of like... I'm sure we're going to do it quite a bit. Like the opening. Yeah. Yeah, like... Um, <laughs> that's something where we will be returning yeah, yeah. to. Is it worth talking about um, another story which is set in this world? Yes, it probably is. There, called is, the Emperor's there is a Soul. short story called The Emperor's Soul, which is apparently... It is set in Cell. In a different country. In a completely different country. But on this planet. The only connection that there is within that story is they mention a country called Svorden, which is mentioned in yes. Elantris. And you never see it, and you never go there, but clearly, wherever Svorden is, it's kind of equidistant between Elantris and the world of well, the Emperor's well, well, here's the thing, because you have the you have Elantris, yeah. but then you have these countries to the north, uh, Teod yeah. and uh, Fjorda. Yeah. Got the impression they were kind of Scandinavian-esque. Yeah. Esque. 
They're like mountainous, cold. Uh, they have lots of navies. Yeah, good, good with boats. Yeah, yeah. is very good with boats, apparently. But then there is this one character who's like a guest from a foreign country. Yes. Who, based on his description and the way he dresses, you can almost picture him as being Chinese. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Asian. Like um, you kind of picture him. I, I could picture him almost being like a kind of. You think of like the Forbidden Palace in like uh, Chinese mm, history mm. and stuff like that, and the way he dresses. Yes. And at one point in the book, yeah. it's a little throwaway thing, but at one point in the book, when the evil priests are like burning everyone alive, yeah. you see him doing kind of like Tai Chi. Yes. He's, he's described as sort of spinning his fists in very tight circles, getting faster and faster, and moving in a strange kind of circular way. So while it's never touched upon before, no, uh, this fellow yes. does epic Tai Chi... And starts glowing. Yes, and appears to start glowing with energy. So, again, <laughs> uh, another magic form, which yes. is never yeah, mentioned. Yeah. It's, it's never just really, he never really manages to do much with it. I think he takes down a few monks. Yeah. And then they kind of overpower him. But again, running with the idea of shapes, mm-hmm. he is doing a form of magic by making shapes with his body, yeah. which we would consider to be like martial arts. Yes. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of interesting. And interestingly, in Emperor's Soul, it is based around uh, the idea of forging. Is the magic there? And set in the country of Svorden? No, not set in Svorden. They mention Svorden. I believe it's called the Rose Empire. Where oh, which is set. such obvious parallels yeah. to like China. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually worth knowing. I think Sanderson says in his kind of author notes yeah. that he was inspired after seeing some ancient Chinese stamps, because like seals. Yes, yeah. because that's how forging works. Sorry, over to you. Yeah, well, forging works by you. Uh, you take any sort of structure, any kind of cylindrical shape with ha- with a flat end, and you carve a stamp into the top of that shape. And the shape determines what that stamp does. And the stamp will change the history of anything you stamp with it. Yes. Like, so you have to have a special kind of ink, and then you stamp it into an object, and it sinks very slightly yeah. into that object. Regardless of what it's made of, it could be made of the hardest ceramic in the world, and it would still sink in. Okay. And then you turn it to stamp it. And then it will change the history of that object to something okay, else. Okay, so let's just kind of like, uh, to because this is perhaps a little hard to get your head around. Yeah. It, it gets explained very well in the books. Mm. But So let's think about like a modern day kind of comparison. So like a rubber stamp. A rubber stamp. But I think it was based on, um, you would have seals in sort of Chinese imperial Yeah, history. which are described as Usually being... Usually be on jade or on some kind of precious stone. So if you can picture like a beautiful kind of, it's described as being like kind of... Uh, a rect- uh, like a cuboid. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, uh, you can use anything. Like, I think at some point, um, Shai, who's the forger in Emperor's Soul, does it just on the end of a table leg. She she carves a little yeah. shape into the wood. And that works. But the best thing to do it on is this special kind of so- stone called soul stone. Yeah, so magic, MacGuffin. Yeah. Which is how it's described, I imagine it quite like soapstone. Yes. Like, it's, it's kind of soft, easy to carve. It doesn't chip or break. Uh, but if you heat it, it comes becomes absolutely unbreakable, yeah. and you can put ridiculously fine detail into the carvings. But her, but her gimmick is she is both a forger mm. and a forger yes, with, with a, a capital, capital F. F. And if you read a lot of Sanderson, you're going to get a lot of proper. There's nouns a lot in of this. capital yeah. letters. Yeah. So the gimmick being is that you make a magic stamp. Yeah. So you have this beautiful kind of stone stamp with, a, as you say, a, yeah, a yeah. symbol on the bottom, which you spend weeks carving yeah but the idea is that say and her gimmick is say you get a cheap 
nasty table. Yes. It's basically just a plank with four rugs stuck yeah. into the bottom. So she then, using her skills and magic, writes a unique symbol. Yeah. Which... When stamped into the wood, yeah, and, and the, the surface, although hard, will kind of absorb it slightly. Like yeah, it becomes sink in. Yeah, yeah. So then, she, by stamping an object, mm. you can rewrite its history. Yeah. So she re- would rewrite the history of that table when, instead of being made by, say, me, yeah. an idiot who can't work a sander, yeah, it instead was made by a master craftsman out of the finest wood. Yeah. So then, this, you know, rubbish little table would just ripple and turn into yeah but it has to be kind of believable yeah you that's the thing yeah like you couldn't make that table into a lamp no it was always a table it was always a table and it's interesting because um the point of the emperor's soul is that um the emperor of the rose empire has been injured it was an assassination attempt and they've managed to heal him but they haven't been able to give him his memories back yes so she has to forge his memories. Well, he's essentially brain dead. He is, yeah. There's like, like no he's, physical he's, he's harm kind of, to his body. Yeah, it's, it's like... Because they have... They, they, this country will use forging, with a capital F, for certain things, but considers it a, uh, a kind of abomination to use it for other things. Yes. And Shy is very much, I use forging for everything. Well, you have... Basically, <laughs> but, you have this incredibly... It's a, you know, monarch, monarchistic... Yeah. You know, it's a... Everything hinges on the emperor. Yeah. He lives in this amazing palace, yeah. like the Forbidden yeah. City in... And it's like, yeah. the trick is, is that his wife was killed in the assassination attempt. They managed to save his life using their version of the stamp magic, the forging. Yeah. Which they, it's like this dubious thing where they'll quite happily... They're not allowed to use it on people's souls. Yeah. But they are allowed to use it on their bodies. But, but, <laughs> it's but a fine line. But in a nutshell, it's like yeah. in... In, say, a hundred days. Because he's in the mourning period, so he's allowed to be unseen for a hundred days while he's mourning his wife. So his advisors have a hundred-day period of plausible deniability yes. where they can hide the emperor away. Yeah. He's brain-dead. He's, he's in a bed. Yeah. If they don't then present him yeah. to, the, to his loving country, it will all plunge into war and ruin. Yeah. So they have this... She's like the greatest thief and forger you could imagine. Yeah. She breaks in, steals something, leaves a replacement behind. Yeah. Because she can forge it. She Just because she can. Yeah. yeah. So they have her, they capture her and they say, you have a hundred days to forge, capital F, yeah. the emperor's soul. Yes. So can you make an imitation soul in a hundred days? Yes. And if um, you don't, we'll kill you. Yeah. But the whole country will go to war anyway, so it'll all be horrible. Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so you basically, given no other choice, really says, yeah, I'll give it a go. Yeah. And... That's and the story is just the hundred days. It's her diary. Yeah, locked kind of, in a prison cell. What she does every day, and she gradually turns her prison cell into the most luxurious uh, kind of guest apartment that she can manage. Yeah, like every day to yeah. make herself a bit more comfortable, she makes herself yeah. a luxurious yeah. bed, a nice table, makes or... the fireplace a bit bigger, makes the chimney stop smoking. Yeah. <laughs> um... And then she gradually builds up from diaries and memories the emperor's soul, as it were. And and the, it is it's quite clearly a devotion magic. Yes, because, it's a passion. Yeah, she's she's had to put everything of her life into this. In fact, she has a set of stamps which are her own soul stamps. So similar to what she's creating for the emperor, where she can change her own history at certain points. Yeah. Um, to create a different her for a different circumstance. So she has like a warrior her, where instead of devoting her life to forging, 
she devoted her life to martial arts yeah. and strength. So she, because uh, she has cause later on to use yes. it. Yeah. So she kind of stamps it into her arm, leaves a little symbol on her arm, mm. and then she becomes this alternate version of herself yes. where she's a warrior. Yeah. But the gimmick of the emperor is she is able to make an imitation soul. Yes. And to do that, she has to study his entire life. Yeah. Which is what she's been doing for a hundred days. So it, so the gimmick is it's not perfect, but every day. The yeah. emperor's advisors will stamp him on the back yeah. of the neck, which will... Because it's so complicated, it won't kind of stick. It only lasts for like a yeah. day. Yeah. And, um, but, and but it will make him... It will make him good enough. Yeah, he's not quite... He's not quite exactly himself. His mind is gone, basically. That's what, that's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. The emperor, as was, is dead. He's gone. But it's an interesting idea. It's yeah. like, and then, yeah, well, look, it's to keep peace, it's like, you stamp him daily, yeah. and you'll get a... A, a good approximation, a very of the good imitation emperor, yeah. yeah, who can think the same way. Yeah, um, but yeah, but it is interesting that clearly there is a lot more to this planet. There is a lot more to yeah. sell, and Fun. so we we don't know whether we've actually seen domination magic. magic. Indeed, yeah. Well, well, like... well, this is a weird thing. Like, I mean, it could go either way. And yeah. I wonder if I don't think Sanderson does a lot of things randomly. Yeah. I think there's generally a reason for everything. So you could say to yourself. Devotion and Dominion yeah. have both ended up on the same planet. Yes. We have a world which is split between the two. And it's interesting that both the magics could be described as going either way. Yeah. yeah. Like you I mean, s- it could be, because we have another example in Hemalurgy, which comes from the Mistborn world. Well, ooh, yeah, yeah. Like, how much do we want to get into that? But-, but that is a mixture of two shards. Okay, so it's possible to have a form of magic yeah. which so is... so it could be that all the magic on cell... Ferrochemy. Sorry, yes. Yeah, ferrochemy, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, but all the magic that's on cell is a blend yeah. of devotion you, and dominion because to get the magic to get any of the magics to work you have to be incredibly devoted yeah. but all the magics appear to be a way of exerting your will On over something, something else, else. because yeah. the scamp system yeah seem would seem to fit into dominion it really would yeah but it's 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 inter- it is interesting because obviously there is possible infinite variety on cell whereas in some of the other worlds we've seen there's always like a very strict number of possible yeah. powers whereas here Anything you could imagine and devote your life to could be a magic. Yeah. But, it, I mean, we know at least now that, like, in this world, any kind of form-based magic, any symbol, yeah. regardless of what you do, if you want the magic to work, you have to make a symbol of some yes. sort. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, Alantris was technically his first proper novel. Sanderson's first proper novel. First which published was pub- novel, yes. First published novel. Yes, because there are other ones that we are not allowed yes, to see. Yes, which he wrote during his degree, I believe. Yeah. But, like, yeah, first published novel. Elantris. It's a it's a more straightforward story, yes. but has hints to a much bigger story. Yes. It rewards reading it if you know what's going on. Emperor's Soul, yeah. written a lot later, set in the same world. Clearly, there's some room for expansion. Yes, and I believe there is plans for an Elantris 2. Yes. But there presumably have been plans for an Elantris 2 for at least a decade now. Well, yeah, it's not like he isn't writing no. 15 other things at once. <laughs> like, he clearly is not short yes. of ideas. But um, we have seen characters from Elantris, or at least we believe we have seen characters from Elantris turn up in Stormlight. Well, another another, another uh, yeah, books, yeah. Um, and Stormlight is one that definitely rewards having read all the other Sanderson novels yeah. before you get there. I mean, like, it, it seems like a lot to take in. Uh, it kind of was a shock when we learned there was more to all this. And yeah. I love it. Like, you know, there, there, there was, are moments. It was an you... incredible... Like I said, I hadn't read Elantris when I found that out. And yeah. actually, it's like... I saw this interview and someone put their hand up and quite innocently asked, who is Hoyd? Half the room burst into laughter. 
Sanderson just kind of awkwardly said in this interview, who here doesn't know who Hoyt is? That's all the other half of the room put their hands up. And he went on to explain that there is a character that is in every single one of his novels, and his name is Hoyd. And in some of them he's a larger part, and some of them he's not. In in Elantris, he is a beggar that Serene uses to smuggle stuff into Elantris. Okay. Um, and that, and it's just a throwaway little line that she names him Hoyd, mm-hmm. and he doesn't appear to do anything else. But it turns out that Hoyd is everywhere. Yeah. And Hoyd knows what's going on everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like it's Pandora's box. Yes. And yeah, there is a lot to reward yeah. reading. But I, I mean. I guess ostensibly we're talking about we've got a bit off topic. A little like, bit, maybe. And, and to be fair, we're going to be covering a lot of Sanderson stuff. I imagine, I'd imagine. so. Yes. And we'll, we could probably do a whole episode entirely on the connections linking all the books. It might be fun actually. So we're starting at this point, and it's like there aren't any connections because this is where it started. It even says on the front of the book, "Discover where the magic began." That's the tagline for this book. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> the pu- I, I often wonder if he even told the publishers what he was doing. I mean, I wonder if he would get away with it. Is it like um, a Walking Dead situation where it's like it needs to tell them something different? And if yeah. it didn't work out and if he, if Elantris hadn't sold well and he'd never really published another novel, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think... I, 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 From what I at least have seen in, in the comics industry, I cannot imagine that... Uh, I, I think that would come across as overly ambitious. I think or for a first novel, mm-hmm. I don't think you would pitch it to a publisher as saying it's the beginning of a 51 book series yeah. all spread across different worlds which are all connected. Yes. In this age so. post-Marvel Avengers I'm sure people will go for that. I often I commend this, this him. This is very much Marvel Avengers or it, rather ver- Marvel it, Avengers is very much Cosmere. It's the Avengers of the fantasy yes, world. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I commend him for sneaking that in under mm-hmm. the radar and also perhaps for being able to tell good standalone stories. Mm. Which you don't need to know about the bigger picture. Well, yes, because uh, my my sister, who is not a big reader in general, has read Elantris and very much enjoyed it. And she's read Mistborn and very much enjoyed it. Uh, She doesn't really care about the connections. And that's fine. Yeah. It works fine. If you want to find them, they're there. And particularly, I would not recommend anyone read Stormlight without having read some of the others. (laughs) Which is his kind of magnus opus. Yeah, this is his ten book That's the daft one, which is going to just kill us all because it's gigantic. Oh god, each book is a weapon. Like, yeah. I mean, I've only actually got the first one in real life. The other, the next, I have the second one on Kindle, simply because the first one takes up a good chunk of a shelf. <laughs> okay, okay, well, but, yeah. uh, I guess if we dial back the Cosmere, yes. focusing entirely on Elantris, which of course you do not need to know about the bigger picture. No, no, no. First no. book, I mean, what are your final thoughts on Elantris, as, ignoring all the other things? What do you think Elantris of this book? is... A lovely modernist take on the classic fantasy story. There's a prince and a princess, and a marriage, and a magic city, and a big scary uh, empire off in the distance threatening everybody's life. But everything in it is just slightly twisted by a few degrees, and I really like that. Like, just Serene is not quite the perfect princess, Rowden is not quite the spoilt prince. The king is a crazy person. It's um, but not the not the standard wah ha 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 sit in a big castle castle kind of crazy. He's the more common crazy of someone who's had a lot of power and a lot of responsibility thrust on him and doesn't really know how to handle it and is trying to find his way through. And I really like that about it. It's 
it is like I said I thought it was generic it's not generic but it's still classic would you say it paved the way for a lot of what we see in Sanderson books now are there Sanderson tropes which you there are of... definitely Sanderson tropes um a few classic ones of uh, strong female characters mm-hmm. who are either the lead or the secondary character. And I mean, strong female characters not in the terms of physical strength, but in terms of you understand everything about their motivations, everything about their personalities, and you everything they do makes sense. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's hard enough to do for some writers in any kind of character situation, but it seems to be particularly hard for some people to do with female characters, I find. I'm trying to think now. I can't honestly think of an instance where any of his characters have been damseled. Characters have been in peril, yeah. be they male or female, but they've never been no, helpless no, or useless. Believe, yeah. No, don't believe they have. And even characters who maybe... I believe Serene gets damseled for about five minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then she kicks someone in the face. Yeah, he's very, he's very good. Like it, it's 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 kind of it's frustrating in a way where you have to point out where someone writes. And I'm using heavy air quotes. Strong female characters yeah. to basically just mean he just writes decent yeah. characters. He does. <laughs> yeah. He writes decent characters, and some of them happen to be female. Yeah, it's entirely irrelevant. Uh, but yeah, he also um, he very much likes to uh, subvert certain particular fantasy yeah. tropes. Um, like there's never any elves. Or anything. It's like it's yeah. not. He's not an elves and dwarves kind of guy. But there might be other races that have certain abilities. But then they're not cardboard cut out. It's a very sort of. It's yeah. always a very kind of human form of fantasy. Yes. Like the yeah. drama, the magics are always wild and fantastic. Yeah. But it's never like the elves and the dwarves and the underdeep. It's very yeah. much like. I mean, I I don't believe there is another apart from the Sions, and you count Sions. Yeah. There the isn't another line. sentient species in this lot, part. I don't from... think a lot of his books do, do they? Um, Stormlight Archive does. Yeah, which is actually something for another day. Yes. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, and I guess Mistborn does. Yes, that's true. Actually, uh, but, but they're very different. But they are very different. They're yeah. not. They're not the standard, like I said, dwarves and elves. Yeah. They are. They are interesting characters. Elantris doesn't have. Another yeah. sentient species apart from the Sion. So, uh, would you say uh, another trope, Sanderson trope, religion? He does do a lot with religion, yes. He's seen um, it from a lot of different angles, yeah. I think. And there are actually a lot of religions, it's suggested there are a lot of religions in here that you don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously we have the Shus. So we have Shu Keseg, Shu Korath, Shu Dereth, which are the main ones. There's also Jeska, which plays a minor part in it. Uh-huh. Slightly more major later on, um, but is considered to be extinct because the the only country it was practiced in has been taken over by Fjordel. Oh, it's just like a throwaway comment. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and there's the Jeska mysteries or the Jeskeri mysteries, which is some sort of like um, de- degenerate version of the Jeska religion, which okay. has kind of managed to cling on in a few places. And a lot of people who we do meet one person who practices Jeska, and he's quite insulted that. The Jeskeri mysteries are now considered to be what's re- what's left of his religion. So it's um, like it's like uh, an ancient proud religion being turned into like a kind of Hollywood fad. Yes, yeah, it's of. it's um it's you know it's the mysticism. People have you know people who don't fully understand the religion have taken the mystical part of it and are trying to practice that without the actual core of the religion. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I think there are some others that are mentioned, but I can't remember the names offhand. Um, Everyone does appear to believe in one god yeah. here, which is interesting. Jessica believes in a life force that motivates people to mm. do things. That's their kind of 
god it doesn't they don't believe it has a mind necessarily it's just it's a thing that's there and it creates everything so what about um i guess another trope which began here mm. is the uh magic systems like because yes sanderson is known i i would say now for ha- in each of his books mm-hmm. having uh, a very strong internal internally logically consistent yes. magic base and there are always trope numbers and mathematics involved like he really likes threes yeah triads and actually i noted down i I was doing a bit of research about this book and um this book is actually written in threes it is written on the triad system apparently it is there are three parts to it and each set of three chapters um comes from one point of view yes so you jump in three chapter blocks between characters and there are three main plot lines going on um but yes and uh, on a grander scale there's his theory of the three realms, which are not explicit in Elantris, but we do see certain aspects of it. Yeah, but do you think but, I, I, I'm I'm just kind of, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. just playing like devil's advocate here now? But do you think like in reading a Sanderson book, is it ever an obstacle where the magic gets in the way of the plot, where it becomes oh here's a new Sanderson book, and we have to now work out what the magic is going to be. It's like someone will say, oh, I'm using one of these ten forms of magic. And then it becomes more of a kind of, like a Pokédex. You're just trying to collect all the different forms I mean, of magic. A, there's maybe a certain aspect of that sometimes. Yeah. I think, um, not in Elantris, because the magic is so central to the plot that there's no way that the exposition about the magic could possibly get in the well, way, is... because it's the characters yeah. learning about it themselves. Well, this one probably goes into the least detail yes, yeah. of magic yeah. in his book. But I'd say yeah. particularly... Sticking to kind of the least detail end of the scale, Warbreaker, I felt, had a really... Another book. This is a different book, yeah, by Sanderson. Um, The magic system in Warbreaker, which was based around shapes and Uh colours. I felt that that kind of got in the way of things. Like, they were kept... Again, you know that all the rules are in place, but I felt like they were almost at odds with the plot line that was trying to take carry on. I I mean, I've, I've, I've... been, I've said before that Warbreaker is probably my least favourite of the Sanderson The Sanderson's. Novels. I just, yeah. um, I just felt it was it's not as well put together as others, and that that was a situation where it felt like he had he had a, a magic system that he needed to get in, and the plot line was almost kind of secondary, secondary to yeah. that. Um, but then, you know, things like again the Stormlight Archive, which the magic system in there is enormous like i think at the moment we're working on the theory that there are three different shards yeah it so gets... three different bases for a magic system there and then each magic system has like 10 aspects mm-hmm. and that is almost like gotta catch them all it's you know i mean we you and i have sat in the car having long discussions about what x character can do and mm. what y character can do oh and this i i like it's but why I... I love that yeah well it's why i'm playing devil's advocate here because i really enjoy it as well mm. and i feel uh it really ticks on my, yeah. you know, it's, it's pressing on my buttons. Like, I, I love this, trying to work out the logic of the world. Yeah. And knowing that it does make sense. And yeah. knowing he's given a lot of thought to it. So I remember um, the opening to Mistborn in particular, where an awful lot of seemingly normal words like push and pull, pull had capital letters on them for no reason that you could yeah. <laughs> figure out. And people were doing dramatic, um, like, aerial dramatic gymnastics and things for no reason that you could quite yeah. work out but there was that feeling that it would make sense okay and that's that's the important thing i think it's not like he's pulling things out of his ass here 
So if, if Elantris <laughs> was the prototype... Yes. What, in like, I don't know, what are the points that make a Sanderson book? Okay, okay. What could you, like, how would you sell it to someone? It, it, like, five points or whatever, okay. six points. Uh, strong characters, uh, distinct, clear plot lines. Yeah. Uh, incredible magic systems. Mm-hmm. And um, lots of potential geekery. Like I mean, you, yeah. There is there is a hell of a lot of potential for theorizing, we'll just, and I love theorizing. Also, perhaps very big on religious and political commentary. Oh uh, yes, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never, it's, it's, ne- ne- it's, it's never, never, it's not satirical. No, it's never like, oh, look at this. Yeah. Oh, isn't it a dark mirror in which we yeah. reflect our own twisted well, see, lives? I mean, it's it, more like it is interesting because um, Sanderson himself is a religious man. Yeah, I understand. He was in the UK a few weeks ago. Uh, And I follow him on Twitter. And he was complaining a little bit about being able to find a Church of the Latter-day Saints in Manchester. Yeah. Um, So a Mormon, he lives in Utah, so it's a pretty pretty strong Mormon. Um, But at the same time, his religions are loving. You know, it's it's not a parody. It's simply... No. This is an aspect that's clearly so important to his life, he can't imagine his characters not happy. But you pointed out it's quite a good thing, because, like, you don't get religious parallels in a lot of fantasy books mm. because you live in a in a practical fantasy world in which the concept of the impossible and the metaphysical is actually the science of yeah, that world. Yeah. So yeah, it's something I like. And there's always um he's very I'd say he's very balanced. Yes. I think is the best way. There's always he never falls blindly on one side. Mm. There's always characters on each side of a debate which generally give very good points yes. and answers. There's um, very rarely someone who's just the embodiment of evil. Even when yeah. we've seen just the guy who's just the embodiment of evil, he's not. He, yeah. <laughs> like... He's I, I got to say, like, very good characterizations. He's always very good at kind of turning things on its head. And yeah, he kind of, I, I'd say, brings a slightly different outlook, uh, a way of looking at these stories yeah, as and well. Often, like... often his stories just involve taking a standard setting or a standard um, plot and trope and tweaking one aspect of it, which I don't think he really does here so much. Like, this is... He he tweaks individual things here and there, so the characters are slightly what you wouldn't expect. Even the evil guy is balanced and has reasons for what he's doing and clear motivations. Uh Whereas, you know, like, Mistborn, he's famously said, is a fantasy heist novel. Yes. Um, Warbreaker is a fantasy realm in a tro- on a tropical island. Yeah, no, so, so he's very much kind of like, you know, here's an idea, we're going to flip it around, yeah. do it a bit differently. Like, um, I, this wasn't my first Sanderson book. Uh, no, no, as I said, it was my last Sanderson book, as yeah. it was, as oh. it was at the time. Well, Mistborn, he's released more since then. <laughs> the Mistborn trilogy were my first ones, which yes. I absolutely loved. And I came to Elantris later, and I think you could tell that it was his first book. Yes. Like, it, it's, it's a fine... It's a fine story. It's very good. I think... It, this is interesting. Like, it's not the best Sanderson book. Yeah. I feel that if it were the only book he'd ever written, it would still stand kind of, I'd say, head and shoulders above most of the fantasy books on the show. Yes, like, I would say that, yeah. It's a very... It's a clever book. It's surprisingly simple. Mm. For all the plot was complex, as we took... Yes, all, yeah, we, we took quite a while to... Do, yeah, we, as long as it took us to describe a plot, like... It's straightforward. Yeah. And, yeah, it's easy to read. 
Uh, it's it's light. It doesn't doesn't you know. It's not a massively hefty tome. Well, I mean, some people might call this as fantasy books go. As fantasy books go, I mean, as as epic fantasy, because technically this is part of an epic fantasy series. It's definitely not high fantasy though, which is quite nice. Well, I don't know. Is it? There are castles and princesses and empires. And I, I don't know. Magic. It's, yeah, it's not. It's not. It doesn't feel that way. It feels very modern. Yes, I think it's it's modern high fantasy. Selena, it's not dark fantasy. It's not high fantasy. Yeah. It's definitely fantasy. Yes. Uh, yeah, there is no no science fiction in this whatsoever. But very modernist. Like yes. it's kind of like he's he's looking back on fantasy tropes and intentionally subverting them. Mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed this book. Like um, I do love Sanderson's work. I think occasionally. There are certain things about some of his books which are a little bit, I want to say, like, um, maybe cutesy, which kind, yes, of, which yeah. kind of annoy me a little bit. Um, very minor complaints, because I think 99% of the books are exceptional. Yeah. Like, and like, just occasionally, two characters will have banter. Band- and it's, yes. And it's banter. It reads like a Friends episode or something. Yeah. I, every character in this in- interchange is, t- is saying exactly the right thing. To get to the next, yeah, and this is this is a weird point. thing, and it's funny you mentioned banter because it's something I've noticed in all of his books now. Mm-hmm. I won't bat an eyelid at any of the dialogue; it's yeah. all great. But the moment the characters are fooling around, for some reason, it feels very forced. Yes, seems like a minor complaint, but it's something that's you know. Also, like he he presents he a lot of different ideas and themes. Mm-hmm. It's certainly about religion in this book. Yes, and I find sometimes they verge towards being a little oversimplistic. Sometimes he's he, I think... he balances things pretty well, but sometimes it's a bit kind of this is this scene is a thinly veiled kind of commentary on religion yes, kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's like these two characters are really just spokespersons, spokespeople for different worldviews kind mm. of thing. Um, and yes, yeah, there is that aspect, but at the same time, I feel he's quite good about weaving exposition into the plot yeah. rather than actually just having that scene. Where there's like omnipotent narrator comes down and explains the world to you, yeah, um, which has sometimes been done very well. Yeah, um, I, um, I'm thinking Wheel of Time start always starts with the same structure of sentence, which sets up everything mm-hmm. and tells you where you are and which people are there, and then the story starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Pratchett kind of plays it for laughs. Yeah. Like quite often in his books he will have a complete aside where it's not a character in the story talking in any way and just he will directly talk to you about some concept that we are now looking at. And you know, it's forgiving. I think Sanderson's very good at weaving it in and sometimes it slips. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes there is just you know, you have to have that character that doesn't know something and the only reason that character is there is so that this thing can be explained to them. He's not an especially he's not an especially flowery writer. Which I no, think is why no. I wouldn't define it as high fantasy because it doesn't have that kind of. It's not got the Tolkien esque. Well, I, I want to say I'm know, not sure if the phrase paragraphs is... of description about beards. Well, here's <laughs> the thing: it's like you know, uh, Pratchett, one example yeah. brought up. He's a humorist. Yes. He's also a very good writer. Uh, you but look at like the present tense. Sadly, yes, yes. <laughs> he was. A, he was a very good writer. Uh, you look at something like Tolkien. Um, kind of what you think of high fantasy. It's got that kind of high camp. Mm-hmm. veil to it which is like it's not a, a phrase that gets used very often but when you say it you know what it means yeah there's a certain pomp and circumstance mm. to it there's flowing robes it's, and it's like yeah, Sanderson is very much his characters talk like normal people talk yes. now they don't they don't go into the forsooth and privy and you know um... so you're never you're never gonna get 
I don't know. I, I, this is weird. Like, okay, how about this? If you're reading a Samson book, I doubt you're ever going to get a phrase or a paragraph or a section which could be described as poetry. It's not going to, you're not going to get a section of writing which is kind of like you pause and you think, wow, that was a, that was a, a, a feat of the English language. But at the same time, I think his writing is very functional. Yes. But I think he can capture some very powerful ideas. Like, I've been very moved yes. by stuff in I think it's the way thing. It's like, yeah. um, we've had this discussion before with other people saying the point of writing is to be a form of telepathy. It's to get the ideas in from your head into yeah. my head with as little intervening mess as possible. And I think that's something he's very good at. Yeah, because I think you could have... The alternative would be having incredibly flowery, flowery language yeah. and saying nothing important. Mm. I think he, he has very functional writing. Yeah. He get, but, the, because, but that means he's very good at getting some good ideas across. Yes. Like, the writing is not flowery, it's not overly... You know, it doesn't use long words yeah. and kind of like Shakespearean language. It just does the job. Yeah. Will Self would hate this book. Will Self would help hate this book. And I <laughs> like some Will Self, but it's also I've read some Will Self. I've tried to read some Will Self books, which were unreadable. Yeah. I've, I, good grief. Yeah. When you have to check every other word with a three source. Yeah. But then again, I mean, I think something he fell into with Elantris more than other books is he does fall into the trap of unpronounceable fantasy names. Yeah, as we demonstrated bit, with yeah. you trying to read the back of the it's, book. Yeah, he's a bit. He does it a bit less. Yes. he falls maybe. Right, like, what 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 do you fall on? Yeah. You say like, uh, this is the king of this land, and the people of this land practice magic. Yeah. Or the other thing is, you say he is the duoden of this land, yeah. and the people practice the the shamsdod or something like that. You know, they mean the <laughs> I same. Love the shamsdod. The shamsdod. Yeah, yeah, but they mean the same thing. Yes. There's like a kind of writerly shorthand where you don't need to, to throw in yes, fancy words. Yeah. He is big on capitalising words. Very much so, yes. I, I wonder Forging. if his caps lock is stuck on occasionally. Yeah, it's title case. It's yes. like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like people could be fighting and they will go like, he pushed him away, but then he pushed him away. Yes, and, yeah. and it's like, push. Oh, that's magical shorthand yeah, yeah, for... Yeah. So, yeah, like I said... Function functionally written, yes, but hot damn, does it get some good ideas across? I think that's a pretty good, uh, yeah, a like, pretty good summary of Lantris. I think that's what we could all aspire to, yes. really. Like, if I could, if I could write something which gets a damn good idea across, if I can tell, if I can have the best damn idea in, in the world and then tell it well, mm. that's better than having an awful idea but telling it in a really powerful way. If that makes yes. sense, I'd rather have a good idea and get it across than have a mediocre idea but dress it up in flowery language. That's saying that, yes, I agree. Yes, I mean, I've read some stuff with some flowery language, and it can be nice at times. Like you say, it's like reading poetry; just you enjoy the structure of it. But sometimes you just want to read a damn book, mm-hmm. and you you've only got you know an afternoon to do it. I'm not sure you'd be able to get through Elantris in an afternoon, but this this takes me two or three no. days to to read Elantris in a couple of sittings, and it's 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 like comfort food, but it's comfort food that's good for you. Yeah. Like so carrots I, I, and hummus or something. Carrots and hummus. This is, this is this is the carrots and hummus of the fantasy world. <laughs> it's like okay. I'm not quite first, first world reading. <laughs> um, okay, I like. So I guess how would you how would you summarize it? How would you wrap it up? How would you recommend it? I I would recommend Elantris as 
Um, it's a good book for anyone who is perhaps slightly fed up with the standard tropes of fantasy and really wants to find something new in the genre. Um, it's a great book for all ages as well. I mean, that's. it seems strange to specify that, but in, the, in a world of Game of Thrones, you may, may have to specify that. I, I would quite happily give this book to a 10-year-old. Yeah, and some complex there's themes, nothing, but nothing unsuited. Yeah, there's nothing in here that's going to, you know, send them off, you know, ravaging their brains with porn or something. Mm. It's, um, you know, when, when, you, when you're over 18 and you want to do that, that's fine. But, you know, don't, yeah. don't give it to a 10-year-old. Um, I've, I've also, I've happily recommended this book to people who don't generally like high fantasy. Um, because it is quite easy to get into. The story is strong and rattles along at a fair old pace. There's no real dead space in this book. Something is happening all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I would say it is a very fine novel and it's well worth anyone's time. I would would agree. I'd say it is, if you are tired of elves and dwarves and you want a book which is inventive, creative, makes you think, uh, takes fantasy in different directions, I would recommend this book. It isn't the best Sanderson book out there, but it's better than a lot of other things. Yes. So, yeah, highly recommend Pleasingly it. mediocre. Highly. <laughs> it, is, it is high mediocre. Oh, that's, is that, is that yeah. fair? Is that damning? Is that I don't know. damning with faint praise? Might be. <laughs> it's good. It is good. It's good. Yeah. It's not exceptional, but it's very good. Yes. It's very, very good. So I, I guess that's Elantris. I guess that is Elantris, and I have no idea how long we've been rambling on for. Well, it's a good length. This, yeah. is, uh, as I, this is the first of the first chair fantasy podcasts. Um, we'll hopefully be doing this on a reasonably regular basis Heck for cool. a different book. This hopefully is... not just Sanderson. Yeah, this is your baby. I'm just along for the ride. Yeah, and uh, I'll see if I can drag a variety of different voices into uh, be be terrorised by my love of fantasy novels be the second chair yeah be the second I've chair I've enjoyed being the second chair oh, it's been fun how is the second chair is it comfy it's comfy actually yeah, yeah. Oh, good um, how about we just say uh, we are Big Punch Studios we make comics we make Afl I think we make Seven String we make Big Punch Magazine and we do entertaining things like this and if you like what we're doing please uh, do feel free to support us uh, we're on Patreon www.patreon.com forward slash Big Punch Studios. Links will be in the description. And yeah, you can also check out all the stuff we do at our website, www.bigpunchstudios.com. And we hope to see you in the future for many more of the Big Punch Podcast Network podcasts. It's a tautology, isn't it? We need to. Tautology. Uh, yeah. The Big Punch Network. The Big Punch Podcast pe- Podcast. Pod, 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 pod. <laughs> I might have broken. Should we sign out? Let's. Bye. Bye. Bye.